With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of Charts at Billboard. Joining me, as always, is our own personal Academy Awards winner, Billboard's deputy editor, Digital, Katie Atkinson. I won? Um, Should I give a speech? I think you stole Francis McDormand's Oscar. Oh, that wasn't me. Oh. But if you'd like to see the guy who did, check out his Facebook video. The brazen gentleman who <laughs> swiped Francis McDormand's Oscar, but luckily, Francis got it back. Um, well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things Oscar and pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we'll be chatting about our thoughts on the 90th Academy Awards, which were broadcast on Sunday, March 4th, and we'll discuss chart news about Post Malone, Kylie Minogue, and Bon Jovi. Plus, we've got an interview with Max, the singer-songwriter behind the top 20 Billboard Hot 100 hit, Lights Down Low with Nash. We talk about the song's slow and steady climb up the charts, the incredible one-shot video for the song, what his label boss Pete Wentz has to say about his success, and more. So stick around for that. But first... Before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes or any of your other traditional podcast providers, because I'm sure we're, like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't use iTunes, you can certainly use something else. Podcast Addict. Um, That's what I use. Yeah. (laughs) My my Alexa at home, uh, I think, gets it from some other... Uh, yeah, I just blanked. <laughs> Clearly not scripted. Um, but whatever podcast distributor you use, subscribe to us. So uh, you'll you'll get us in your feed. And um, you can always review us and rate us and, you know, tweet about us and tell a friend because, you know, why not share the good news? Share it. Yeah. And you can always um, see the rest of the podcast that Billboard has at uh, iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcast. Or we also have a podcast tab on Billboard.com. Just find fall, us. Fall into Just a rabbit hole with podcasts. Okay, let's run the Billboard chart numbers and do the chart chat. Here are three of the biggest headlines on the charts, at least in my opinion. First up, Post Malone's Psycho, featuring Ty Dolla Sign, makes a splash on the Billboard Hot 100 as the single debuts at number two on the tally, giving Post Malone his third top ten and Ty Dolla Sign his second. Psycho, which was released on February 23rd, starts with 55 million streams earned in the week ending March 1st, 80,000 downloads sold, and 10.3 million in airplay audience earned in the week ending March 4th. 
The song bows at number two on the streaming songs chart, number one on digital song sales, but isn't on the 50 position radio songs chart yet, uh, which is pretty much the case how with how these things work. You know, um, certain songs, certain you know, hip hop songs will start off big in streams and then radio catches up, which is kind of what's happening with Drake's God's Plan. But more on that in a second. <laughs> um, Psycho is just the 52nd song to debut in the top two on the Hot 100. And uh, the 22nd to bow at number two. The last song to start at number two, Post Malone's own Rockstar featuring 21 Savage. The people, they really like Post Malone. There's a, the people, people really like Post Malone. I think, I wonder, <laughs> not part of our notes, but, you know, I wonder if the love of Post Malone and the sort of Bath, the general baffledness at some people's enjoyment of Post Malone <laughs> yes. is similar to, is like, it's a cyclical thing. Like, you know, back when, like, let's say Dre and Snoop came out in the early 90s, or like when Master P or when Diddy, it's like, whatever is like the super red hot hip hop thing at the moment, you know, there's always going to be maybe a segment of the population is just like, what the heck? I just don't get it. But I think Post Malone sonically is just so different from mm-hmm. a lot of hip hop of the past. I think that's why it's taking a lot of people like, whoa, is this really, is this where hip hop is going? And I think that's why you have that general like, yeah. a lot of the time with Post Malone stuff. Um, but anyway, I digress. Mm. Yes. Katie doesn't want to say anything. She's just looking at me. I'm like just trying not to say anything. I just am not into it. That's it. I, obviously, like uh, that's not a surprise with my the way I'm talking about it. Well, it, it's I it's I think sonically, I think you know you know what was it like a year and a half, two years ago when Migos started to happen mm. in in a big way. I feel like I understand the Migos appeal and I understand the Ray Shrummer appeal. Like those are fun songs. They have fu- like fun and funny lyrics. Post Malone has a very sort of like hazy. It's serious. It's like slow. It's like blah. It's just yeah. It does not get a party started. <laughs> yeah, but you don't think of Post Malone as like, you know, let's hit the club. Except for this weekend I was at a club and they played Congratulations. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not made me want to dance. Mm. Okay, moving on. Moving on. What, well, what are the chances of uh, Psycho rising to number one on the Hot 100? Well, of the 21 songs that bowed at number two, 11 of them reached number one, including Rockstar. But a super... <laughs> A super certain superstar, Hmm. a certain superstar named Drake is standing in Post Malone's way on the Hot 100 as Drake's own God's Plan stands tall at number one with a huge lead over Post Malone. God's Plan retains the top slot for a sixth week and not just big gains in airplay. As I mentioned earlier, Drake's God's Plan is one of those songs that starts off huge in streams and sales and then tapers off a little bit and then radio catches up. That's what usually happens. And that's how this song can actually have a really long life at the top of the chart when radio starts to embrace it and picks up for the streams that will eventually at some point, assumingly, we we assume it'll go down. But who knows? (laughs) We're in that weird time now where everything is just streaming. What a time to be alive. Hey, oh, hey. It's a Drake reference. Um... (laughs) Next up, 2018 marks the 30th anniversary of pop diva Kylie Minogue's debut on Billboard's charts. Kylie. Kylie. Um, And she's back on our list this week as her new single, Dancing, debuts at number 37 on the Dance Club Songs chart. Minogue's first chart entry came back on May 7th, 1988 with her first U.S. hit, I Should Be So Lucky, which debuted at number 86 that week on its way to a number 26 peak a few months later. 
She would reach the top 10 for the first time later on in 1988 with her cover of The Locomotion. Uh, first, I think it was first to hit for Little Eva, I believe. Um, on the Dance Club Songs chart, I Should Be So Lucky was her first hit as well, and over the course of her career, she's not 23 hits on the list, including dancing. Um, of those songs, 13 of them have actually hit number one, including songs like Can't Get You Out of My Head, All the Lovers, and Slow. Uh, dancing is from Minogue's upcoming studio album titled Golden, which is out on April 6th. And, finally, hmm? over on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, a familiar face, or faces, is back at number one as Bon Jovi's former chart topper, This House Is Not For Sale, is back atop the list. As the album re-enters at number one with 120,000 equivalent album units, nearly all of which was powered by sales generated from a, wait for it, concert ticket album sale redemption offer with their upcoming U.S. Arena Tour. The album actually first hit number one back in late 2016, also largely from sales generated from a ticket bundle. As for next week's Billboard 200 Albums chart, it's a little early for me to forecast this, but right now it's looking like the top debut will come from Tory Lane's new album, Memories Don't Die, uh, which could start in the top three, um, and maybe, maybe number one. I literally don't have any like solid numbers yet. It, we're recording this early on Monday. Um, right now, our preliminary data, just sort of looking at the weekend returns, right now, Tory Lane's Black Panther, the album, and The Greatest Showman are all kind of within range of one another. Um, the latter title, The Greatest Showman, um, is benefiting from exposure on the Academy Awards this past weekend, um, where Keala... Settle performed the movie's Oscar-nominated song, This Is Me. And I think the numbers that I'm looking at don't actually include Sunday numbers yet. So, you know, who knows what the impact just from Sunday night Mm. and the Oscar show is going to bring us on the album's chart next week. So stay tuned. Well, speaking of the Oscars... Segway. Let's talk about the 90th Academy Awards. Hey, let's. The Shape of Water was the big winner of the night, earning four wins, including Best Picture and Best Director, and, as widely expected by Oscar forecasters... Yeah, pretty much everything happened that was supposed to happen. Gary Oldman, Frances McDormand, Sam Rockwell, and Allison Janney won Best Actor, Actress, Supporting Actor, and Supporting Actress, respectively. Yeah. It was, so, if, you, if you were doing your Oscar pools and Oscar stuff, like you you probably did pretty well in the acting category. How did you do in uh, your Oscar pool, by the way? We did an Oscar pool here in the office with Billboard and The Hollywood Reporter, and I think I only got three wrong. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you don't know yet whether that's a winner? Uh, yeah, I doubt it. I I, I doubt I won. I think I, I think the only ones I got wrong were um, visual effects, which I thought it was going to be War for the Planet of the Apes and ended up being... Blade Runner. Blade Runner, I guess. Um, and I got the short... Ooh, my stomach just growled. I'm so sorry if you heard that. I haven't had breakfast yet. Um, <laughs> I think it was the um, documentary short. Okay, which I, was... Uh, that was Dear Bat... No, that was animated short. Um the documentary short was the one about the deaf child when they signed the the um, the speech. And I picked the one about the elementary school. Okay. Which I think it was, yeah. And okay. then the third one I missed was actually Best Picture. Oh, I wow. picked three billboards instead of The Shape which of Water. Which is what won it. Golden, or Golden Globes uh, gave Best whatever their categories are, to three billboards. Um, so yeah, I, got, I think I got three wrong. How'd you do? That's really good. I actually did not do a ballot oh. uh, this year. Did you do something within the household? Nope. 
Oh, okay. Well, I fine, watched, watched. <laughs> well, and let's... I kept and I kept telling my husband before people won who was going to win, and kept being right, and kept, and kept ruining <laughs> and he was it for like, him. Uh, but then by the end, he was just like, "Well, this seems like really boring. If like you yeah. can say everything that's going to win, yeah, that's 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 it. Does you know it's if a you, danger if you pay attention to if you're if you pay attention to any of these sort of the Oscar forecasts or, you know, people, how they kind of predict the races, it can turn into a really boring show. Right. Because there's so many award shows that happen. The Oscars were aired later this year. Yeah. So it just turns into a coronation as opposed to a, you know, competition. But then there's these ones, like, I feel like the Oscars are usually good for at least one out of left field acting winner. Because like year, no. la- I think it was last year. Was it last year that the Bridge of Spies supporting actor won? A couple Mark- years ago, Mark Rylance. Yeah, and I remember there was somebody else who was supposed to win it. Um, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, I think. that was it exactly yeah. from Creed. And so there's there's always it feels like the Oscars are usually good for one of those left field wins. And last night it was all the people that were expected to win. Yeah, I remember. Um, I think it was the year where. Golly, and I don't even remember who actually won, but I remember there was a year where Burt Reynolds was nominated for Boogie Nights for mm. Best Supporting Actor, and he lost. I remember Eddie Murphy was supposed to win for Dreamgirls, oh, and right. I don't remember who won, but that's, like, I just remember he was, like, poised and ready, like, halfway mm. up in the seat, and somebody else won. Oh, the year, I see, it's funny, you remember who you think was supposed to win, exactly. but you don't remember who the winner was. Exactly. I remember the year that Lauren Bacall was nominated for The Mirror Has Two Faces, mm. and it was, pe- The Mirror Has Two Faces. People thought she was going to win, because it's it's freaking Lauren Bacall, yeah. and she didn't. Yeah. And for the life of me, I can't remember. Exactly, this is the thing, but we remember Lauren Bacall, so. It's the thing with award shows in general, you, you sometimes you don't even remember who won Best Picture from the previous year. Uh-huh. Who won Best Picture last year? Um, great question, real solid question. That I don't have an answer to. You know? Moonlight. Oh, duh, La La Land. How am I not going to get that? I don't know. You just didn't. I just didn't. So let's talk about some of our um, <laughs> most notable moments from the show. I actually have notes. Katie does not. Do you want me to start? Yeah, go for it. So mine are in no particular order. Um, uh, briefly, talking about the performances in the show, the musical performances, um, they performed all five of the songs nominated for Best Original Song. I thought I thought the kind of the the most impactful one in terms of just sort of sheer like oomph was This Is Me yes. from The Greatest Showman. Um, Kayala Settle did a, a great job. She was backed by, I don't know who the people were behind her. Um, there was just a chorus that was dancing and singing mm-hmm. along with her. I don't know if they were supposed to be important people yeah. or like representations. I was actually looking to see if Pasek and Paul might be back there in the chorus oh, yeah, or I something, but they weren't. They weren't. <laughs> um, but that I thought that was a great, a great moment and a showstopper and I, though, in turn, um, th- I feel like Sufian Stevens, who was nominated for Mystery of Love from Call Me By Your Name, um, got the Sufa shaft um, ah. because his performance was one minute and 40 seconds long. It was very brief. Very brief. They, I wondered if that was the length of the song. No. Yeah. It is not. But I bet other people wondered that as well. Um. I will say, and you might be about to say this, but I did like um, how they included, you know, quote unquote, background musicians who actually are all significant musicians in their own right. Oh, yeah. Uh, St. Vincent. St. Vincent. Chris, Chris Thiel. Is it Thiel or Thiel? Thiel? I think it's Thiel. He's the one who actually plays the, is it the banjo or mandolin that's actually on yeah, the track? And you would know him from, he took over A Prairie Home Companion, which Nickel is Creek. now called Live From Here. And yes, he's in Nickel Creek. And there were some other people on the stage. Uh, yeah, too. there was one other person that I knew well. 
who I'm just spacing out right now. Well, but. the the actual the the length of Mystery of Love is actually four minutes and eight seconds long. Wow! And basically, he performed the first verse, and then uh, there was like a sort of part of a bridge, and then he kind of modified the rest of it. Mm. Um, Great blazer. Oh yeah, it was beautiful. Beautiful coat. Um, but yeah, the rest of the the rest because I actually researched this because I was frustrated that um, stand up for something is three minutes and 44 seconds long on record. It was two minutes and 40 seconds on stage. Okay. Um, this Is Me is just under four minutes long on record. It was three minutes and 10 seconds on stage. Um, Remember Me from Coco, a little complicated. They performed two versions of mm-hmm. the song because there was four different versions that One exist. One was Gael Garcia Bernal. Which was lovely. And that was actually almost like the entire too. recorded version because that's only one minute long mm. on the soundtrack. And then the Miguel uh, version is, you know, about like another two minutes and change. So combined, it was like maybe like four minutes combined, but on stage they got three minutes. Mm-hmm. And then Mighty River is actually a really long song. It's five minutes and 44 seconds long on the album, but it's two minutes and 45 seconds on stage. No matter how you cut it or slice it, Mystery of Love only had a minute 40, and all the other four songs either had a minute or a minute and a half more. Okay, so here's a question. Knowing Sofiane Stevens, knowing you know he is an artist... Do you think that they said, we need you to do an abridged version of the song? And he's like, the only way that will work is if we just do this verse and call it a day. You know what I mean? As opposed to like trying to truncate the entire song or chop off a half verse here and a half verse there. You know what I mean? Like, I could see that being the case and not them being like, you have one minute, you've got three, you've got, you know what I mean? I'm like, you know what I mean? Nine times. I think, I think, um, as with all things, these things are probably difficult production decisions Mm -hmm. where, you know, they're like, look. We, we can't, we want to kind of give everyone the same amount of time. Right. And everyone got, you know, approaching three minutes except for Sofian, which makes you think either A, there was probably an, an interesting discussion between Sofian and his team and the producers of the show about, you know, how we're going to shorten the song. And maybe that's what they came up with. It just seemed way too short. Right. Um, or perhaps... Um, the Oscars put that limitation on Sofian because maybe Mystery of Love didn't fit into their narrative of the evening. It's quiet. It's a quiet it, yeah. little ballad, mm-hmm. and it doesn't fit into Stand Up for Something where Common decided to do lyrics that were had nothing to do with the song. Like, he just had whole new lyrics that were all about, like, so the NRA, first, Trump, and, like, you yeah. know, Time's Up. I'm like, that's not in the song. The first, the first verse that he did, you know, obviously was, like, freestyled, was not on the beat of the song, etc. But then when he did a second verse... And that that's not the verse from the song, right? No, the one in I don't think he did, he did the verse the at all from the yeah, song. Yeah, because all of a sudden I heard president. I'm like, president? He has one verse in the song. Yeah. It's like, how would you call it? Two bars? It's eight bars? 16? 35? 64? Probably eight or 16. It's like maybe like 15 seconds long on the song. Wow. And he comes in at the bridge. Wow. So, yeah. He had a whole lot more on stage last yeah, night. Yeah. And the same thing with Mighty River and This Is Me. They're all the like these big like empowerment, like you know, and then Mystery of Love's like little banjo mm-hmm. and Sifian. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess maybe it doesn't fall in your narrative. Anyway, that's one of my points. Well, your and turn. I just to piggyback off of that and talk a little more about the song performances, it was surprising to me because I did I'm not super familiar with the song Remember Me from Coco because I haven't seen the movie yet. Mm-hmm. But it was surprising to me to see a, like Disney Miguel because I'm so used to seeing like sexy like Prince Miguel uh-huh. that it was like whoa it is very odd to see Miguel doing like the Disney like show tune he sounded great but it was like a completely different human I had to tell I told Dan like 
that's Miguel. Like, and he's like, that's Miguel? Like, he had no idea. It's funny, I don't have that same context mm. because you've actually seen him live and like you're more of a fan. And to me, I was just like, oh, it's Miguel. Oh, it, it was bizarre. So it's like, it's not, it's like seeing like D'Angelo or Prince like suddenly doing a Disney Pixar yes. song. Oh, interesting. Yes, huh. absolutely. So, t- t- so was that one of your notable well, moments? Well, I just wanted to point oh, it okay. out because I want to, like, and I agreed with you. I don't want to like repeat what you're sa- you said, but like for me, This Is Me was the showstopper. Yeah. For sure. And I thought she sounded incredible. And I thought the way, like, she emoted through the song, I wasn't sure if she, like, legit was having a breakdown in the middle of it. It was acting because Kay Alessandro is impressive. She's she's a Tony Award nominated actress, for Pete's sakes. So go ahead for your next. Um, Well, I loved Frances McDormand's speech. Mm. Um, You know, she's she's a. She she does things her own way. She doesn't really do press. She doesn't do the whole award circuit thing. Mm-hmm. And it was great to see her just kind of like let loose and and really have a powerful moment where she, you know, invited all of the female nominees in the audience and all the categories to stand up. And then she said, everyone look at them and, you know, let's let's talk. Let's make deals. You know, don't do it tonight at a party. Call us into your office, or you can come to our office. Hello, it's like, most convenient. Don't do it while I have a glass of champagne in my hand. Yeah, <laughs> tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and she said, you know, and let's talk about two words: inclusion writer. Which, of course, everyone was like, "What the hell is that?" Straight to Google. And THR had a story about what an inclusion writer. A lot is. of explainers out there. Like that was the I, I googled it. I googled it. It's yeah. bas- it's basically the idea of that a star can put into their contract. Um, something a, a writer, and that could be about anything. It could be, you know, I get this in my trailer, or I get whatever. Fill my trailer with pink flowers and green M and M's, or it's okay, Mariah. <laughs> she doesn't do that. I mean, she might, but we don't know. Um, but it or could, you can request that the crew and the or the background actors be or a certain percentage of minorities, yeah. you know, females and minorities. Yep. So that's a it's a, it's a it's a it's a great idea. Will that happen? Who knows? But if you're a power enough powerful enough woman. If you're Gal Gadot going into mm-hmm. Wonder Woman 2, maybe you can suggest that. Yep. You know, maybe you have that power now. If you are the cast of Black Panther, well, duh. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, who knows? Uh, um, I hope this doesn't step on one of yours, but I just wanted to shout out my two favorite presenters of the evening. Okay. Um, it was two pairs of ladies. One we've already spoken about, Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph. Oh, they were great. And uh, I was telling Keith that Twitter... Uh, you know, right after Jimmy's monologue, which I thought was really great, by the way, Jimmy Kimmel, the host last night, um, I thought he was really great. But um, he talked a lot about Me Too and uh, and just the movement in Hollywood in general for women. And people were like, wouldn't that have been cooler had a female host been the one that said all this? Because Twitter not, loves to complain. Uh, twi- Twitter will, Twitter, <coughs> Twitter, t- I'll eventually say the word, Twitter will never be satisfied with anything. Right. Because that is also representative of the population. But then Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph roll out, and everyone's like, this. This is specifically who we would like to host next year. And I have to say, it was a pretty enjoyable few moments on the show. And they, the, the, their back and forth just was, like, perfect. Like, I wonder how rehearsed that was. Oh, I'm sure it was plenty Super rehearsed. rehearsed. Yeah, they, they were awesome together. And my other favorite uh, presenting pair was uh, Jodie Foster and Jennifer Lawrence. Jodie Foster on crutches. Was that a real thing? I think she was legitimately on crutches, but oh. it was hilarious that they made it a bit. Like Meryl with Meryl Streep. Streep. Yeah, um, uh, but I, I just, and I thought for some reason they were a hilarious uh, duo to look at together too because Jennifer Lawrence looked about seven, seven feet, feet tall. Yeah, seven feet heels. four. Um, um, I loved seeing uh, the winners of uh, Best Animated Feature, Coco, um, when, um, I don't know their names, but there were three of them. One of them was uh, Lee 
Un- Uncric, Uncric, uh, one of the head Pixar persons yes. who's won before. Um, he was the last person to speak, but the first two people that spoke, um, the first woman who spoke uh, thanked her wife. And the the man, the second person who spoke was a man, thanked his husband. Yep. Which I thought was just like, well, hell. Yep. And, you know, it's like two two of the producers, I mean, I don't know, maybe Lee is also gay. I have no idea. But the first two were gay and thanking their, you know, spouses. Um, and winning uh, an Oscar for a film that is all about, you know, Mexico and the Mexican heritage and it's just a cast of Mexican characters which is just so beautiful to see this like really hitting it out of the diversity I know here. just I thought that was pretty incredible absolutely um so that was another one of mine and uh, I can say another one if you yeah go for to. it um I thought it was cool to see James Ivory win yes best adapted screenplay so obviously you knew that James Ivory wrote this because you're very familiar with this movie that I have yet to see but I did not know that James Ivory wrote this movie so when he got up there I was like well like Ivory like Merchant Ivory as in yes the Ivory of Merchant Ivory yeah so Um, that threw me off the the Merchant is no longer with us as he said in his speech Um, so James Ivory at 89 years old is now the oldest uh, Oscar winner ever or the oldest person to win an Oscar, at least a competitive Oscar, mm. not an honorary Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you noticed, on his uh, under his suit jacket was a shirt with an interesting design on it. And it was actually an illustration of the star of Call Me By Your Name, Timothy oh, Chalamet. Wow. So Timothy made it to the stage last yes. night, even though he didn't win Best <laughs> Actor. Um, and so I've said all of mine except for one. Okay, one other thing I wanted to say about just two of my favorite, um, like, comic actors who all of a sudden are in the Oscar world. Kumail Nanjani. I love Silicon Valley. We've always loved him. I thought that the package that they did, that was, it started out um, with the introduction from uh, the Harvey Weinstein victims. Uh, Ashley Judd, Annabella Ciora. I, am I saying her name right? Yes, I believe and, so. Um, and uh, Salma Hayek. Uh, the package that they did that was all about diversity, Me Too, etc. Kumail, all of his moments in that, he, I thought he just absolutely killed it. He was like, oh, you know, what was it the um, scene images? His of- wife has the idea of um, Muslims having fun Muslims as a website. Fun. Eating ice cream. Yeah. Which riding a roller coaster. It's brilliant. And then he also talked about like, maybe now a straight white dude should have to relate to my story because I've been relating to their stories my entire life. Which you know, uh, funny. I, I which which I'm I'm with that, and you know, speaking as a a white man who I'm already privileged in many ways, but also as a gay white man, I'm not privileged in many ways. Um, I was on Tumblr last night before I went to bed, and there was a um, an image set that I was on my feed, and I I think it was. Uh, remind me who was in X-Men who later came out as a lesbian. Um, oh, um, Ellen Page. Ellen Page. I think it was her, and I think it was from a documentary that she did. So, sorry, apologies, but I didn't do my research. But I just remember what she said. And she basically said, like, you know, we are born into a homophobic society. And that is just the way it is. And if you think about it, all of the stories that we hear, all of the movies that we see, all of the music that we hear... All everything is, comes from a straight perspective. Comes from a straight perspective, and so you don't even realize it as you're growing up. But all you hear and all you see is basically a woman and a man, a woman and a man. And so when you do see something that is two men or two women, you're just what the heck just happened? So you're you're. It made me think about that in entertainment in a way where 
it you you sort of see that on a larger scale mm-hmm. where it can be something like Black Panther where suddenly black people are seeing such incredible representations of themselves. Not just a movie with black actors in it, but a movie like superheroes and and action and all these things that have historically left out the black audience. And they do great at the box office. So the bottom line, money talks in Hollywood. (laughs) That was was Kumail's other point. Yeah, so like, you know, clearly black, black folks... You know, not you know, can carry a film and a blockbuster film, and not only are black people going to see it, but white people are going to of see course. it. Of course, and you know, some, just like black people have been going to see white movies this entire time, just like a bunch of gay people have, <laughs> have been, been going, going to, to see straight, straight things. quote unquote straight. Movies. You know, how many damn romantic straight comedies <laughs> with you know Reese Witherspoon have you know gays have to suffer through? Yes, oh, like, suffer. I love Re- I love Reese. Yes, I, not that I don't love <laughs> Reese, but that's why I flip out over Call Me by Your exactly. Name. Exactly. You know, you get these movies like every so often that are like high quality Hollywood movies that are like in awards like discussion which is a good note to say Jordan Peele also broke my heart when he was up on stage last night from Key and Peele from Comedy Central (laughs) from Mad TV to the Oscars he was on Mad TV oh yeah him and Key actually were on Mad TV but like he was just magnificent and that movie is spectacular and uh, they should make more movies like that and uh, go on to your last item. My last <laughs> item, um, the stunt that Jimmy uh, Kimmel pulled where he um, he said that next door at the movie theater, at the Grommets oh, yes. Theater, they were showing a, a advanced screening of A Wrinkle in Time to unsuspecting moviegoers and they wanted to have actors and the audience stars go and thank them for going to the movies. Yes. Um, because really, at the end of the day... Um, the thing that keeps all these movies going is the fact that you go and buy tickets. Yes. Um, and so don't, I've seen so many gift sets and memes of Army Hammer dancing and Call Me By Your Name. And if everyone that made one of those memes or, or reblogged it or retweeted it had paid a couple bucks to see the movie or rent the movie, well, then that movie would have made a whole heck of a lot more money and whatever. Right. But anyway... Um, so they did a stunt during the show where Jimmy took a bunch of stars next door, including Army Hammer uh, from Call Me By Your Name and Ansel Elgort and Gal Gadot and uh, Mark Hamill and so much for the people and uh, surprised the audience. And all of them came in with snacks to give out. And of course, they armed the two probably most dashing men, Ansel Elgort and Army Hammer hot dog cannons. with hot dog cannons. Um, and, uh, because of course, wouldn't you? Um, also, by the way, Army Hammer was sick on yeah, Saturday. Yeah, when he bounced up to go over to that theater, I had heard that he was sick. He had an IV drip yep. in him on Saturday night. He had the flu. He couldn't go to the Indie Spirit Awards. Oh, I'm like, but he put on that burgundy velvet and I'm he like, got out there. Ne- never mind that Army Hammer is now like launching hot dogs and he has the flu. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Let's not think about that for too long. He didn't actually handle the food, people. Um, but I, my, a friend of mine who's a, a, a writer as well, Matthew Rettenman, um, he tweeted uh, yesterday, um, directing people to his website, full list of Oscar winners, you know, linking to his site. But the real winner was anyone who caught one of Army Hammer's wieners. Ah, Ayo. Incredible. So those are my um, sort of notable moments from the Oscars. That segment ran on way too long. But clearly we we were like, we started this out by saying it was so boring because the awards were all predictable. And then we just raved about a million moments. So yeah, clearly so, we had fun. Yeah. Uh, Should we move on to our interview? Yes. So we had an interview with our friend Max. Uh, We actually had Max on the podcast last year when he was just making a name for himself. And now he's back to talk about his first bona fide hit song, Lights Down Low featuring Nash. The song's been climbing and climbing up the charts. (laughs) 
reaching the top 10 of the pop songs chart in its 27th week. It now sits at number seven on the chart. It's on moving. And uh, it also marks his first visit to the top 20 of the Hot 100. Uh, We talked all about why this song specifically connected with such a big audience and why the song's personal connection makes its success that much more special. How he came up with the idea for the song's emotional video, what his label boss Pete Wentz has to say about the hit, and much more. So check out our interview with Max. Hello to Max, and welcome back to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Thank you for having me back. I'm delighted to be here. Of course, and actually, it's like really exciting to have you right now because Lights Down Low is officially your first top 10 on our Pop Songs Airplay chart and yes, top 40 on Billboard Hot 100. I'm honored. I'm, it's mind-blowing. I'm Congratulations. Really Thank you. Um, how does it feel? It feels uh, it's surreal. I'm, I'm so happy that it's that it's this song it's this story it's what means so much to to me and to, to my whole squad you know it's it's i can't imagine it being something else it, it, it's been um the learning lesson of only doing things that you really believe in and are passionate about because if it were something that i didn't feel this way about it would be very empty and i'm sure it would be so it's uh, definitely a life lesson to even if it takes forever just fight for the things that you really care about and believe in even if they take the songs taken uh, almost you know two over two years to get to this point yeah actually the song had the slow and steady wins the race um, trajectory <laughs> it re- reached the top 10 of the pop songs chart in its 27th week yeah crazy um, which is the second longest climb ever to the top 10 in the 25 year history of the chart wow um, did you feel that like as the song was continuing to grow um, over the past six months that people and certainly radio stations were connecting with it in a special way it's meant so much more in such a in such a special way because I think that um, it's it's given such a gravity to the song to to be able to know that there's you know the people that have heard it from the very beginning or maybe people are just starting to hear it what it means to different people um, depending on when they've started to hear it um, in these places or even the places like the radio stations that have been playing it for so long or just started whatever it's like the 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 depth that it's been um, that it's that it's gotten to because it's taken so long has been so beautiful to see people feel a part of it and yeah. that's and that's something I think you can't really I could never replicate with something that happened right away because when people feel a part of something with you it's uh, it's so special and that yeah. was that's been so wonderful to have you know people be like I've I've been there since the beginning or people be like I just jumped on and I'm excited about it yeah and it, it's like word of mouth which yeah. means people love it and are talking about it right totally totally um do you happen to know what what song had the only the longer climb? Did you uh, yeah, already? someone told me it, but I um uh it was in the it was in the nineties, yeah, right? I forget um, who it it's was. I'll be by Edwin McCain, right? Edwin which McCain, is yeah, 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 a huge song, yeah, totally, and had the same kind of like slow build, you know, crazy. It, it makes sense. Also, a very like emotional song, crazy. Um, can we talk a little bit about um lights down low? Um, you know, you've called it a turning point in terms of your songwriting. What do you mean by that? I uh, I think that I always say it because before that I was, you know, I think I was writing from a place of like, oh, what can everybody relate to, mm. you know? And I think it's really poisonous to try to write something big or do something big. Like, I think you, you just, I, with this one, I inadvertently learned this lesson because I kind of gave up and I just wanted to write something for my now wife. I just wanted to write a song for her and not think about who's going to hear it outside of that. Mm. And, 
you know, ironically, and luckily, that's the one that people are hearing because yeah. it's been truthful and raw to what I feel about another person. And I think that's what I need to, every artist, I would hope, always write from that place. It's, your life is different than everybody else's. Um, but at the same time, the the things that, that you do relate and share with that are real are going to be the things that other people really feel. And that's that's a lesson I've, I've, I've always uh, wished I learned. And now, finally, having learned it, um, I'm so grateful to continue to take it everywhere yeah yeah um it's crazy to think that the most personal thing is the most universal thing it's, too it's fascinating you would never you know you don't you don't think that that those things are the things that like something so simple is going to be something that everybody um has been through or gone through you you know it but you just think why would anybody want to hear that or why would anybody want to like it needs to have a thing and whatever else and i think it's it's so important to like don't think of the thing just just to be truthful to the thing and that leads perfectly into the video, which is like super. I, I I watched it and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm liking this. It's such a cool concept. Mm -hmm. And then as it goes on and you age and in you're you know still playing like as an elderly couple and that I mean, it like really struck me way harder than I expected it to. I'm so glad. Um, and I'm sure that you know 25 million people seem to agree with me. The number of views that are on YouTube right now. Um, you know how did this concept come around yeah. and like and and just tell me about this whole video because it's so it's so emotional. So my uh, two two of my favorite collaborators who I've done a bunch of videos with my friend Jade Ellers and uh, Brendan Walter uh, are two directors I've done tons of videos with and we sat down and we realized you know this this concept kind of came to be. Jade said like I want to do like another one shot thing. I've done lots mm. of one shot things in the past you know and there's such a storytelling element that you don't find as much unless you like literally are in one place mm -hmm. that one shot. There's not as like you really have to focus on the story and what is you can't do camera work that flips it around so we started there and jade said like what if this just like one like above a bed like mm. a room and then we all started diving into the elements that really make that like my wife helped uh choose all of the furniture you see throughout the whole thing and, like, like the pillows the change pillows and change the, yeah. and the bed changes and like you know we just got a new bed and i had the same one for like <laughs> 20 years and so it's amazing that all those little things were uh everybody contributing mm. to it and that's what we really wanted to to make sure was clear that every it's about the details mm -hmm. less so than like the simplicity is the space the mm -hmm. space is simple just like the song and what are the things in between that make it what real and what it's supposed to feel like when you really do live in a room forever because we really do like we live in our aside from moving around we live in one space for most of our lives we sleep in a bed for a third of our lives it's like what are the things around you that you choose to have your space with and what do those mean to a relationship? And so it was really important that we, we started in sort of a, uh, an easy loving way. And then, and then suddenly as we age, finding the things that happen in life. And that's the beauty. A lot of people, when we started pitching the idea around, were like, it's so sad. Like you, that's, I mean, it is, this, but it's also life. That's life. And yeah. that's, the point of the song is that, you know, this song, especially being that I've been, you know, talking about this song and, and it's so about my wife, of course, and I tell that story everywhere, that it's meant more and more. We as a couple are, you know, we, we communicate really well, but we have plenty of fights and different things. And I think that that's what we wanted to make sure it's not like people shouldn't be if you're if you're longing for a relationship know that the best one is not something that doesn't have any of those difficulties mm -hmm. it's something that you work through with that person and that's the same in this you know her getting sick and all of these different moments 
it, it was, that was what was important to us. And that's, again, that's the beauty of it, of us passing away, because we're all going to pass away. And it's, what are the little moments you remember that mm-hmm. really matter? Not necessarily just the proposal. It's like, it's the little tiny things of like being old people and not knowing how to take selfies and things like that, <laughs> that we really wanted to get across in it. And then having the couple at the end was really important too, to just show that like, we're going to all be gone and someone else will utilize the energy we've left on the earth and maybe they don't even knew we were there. They don't even know a life that we live. We don't know lives that were lived here millions of years ago. They, But they'll feel that space and what you leave this earth with, what that space is left with. And that was really important for us to leave. That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> Obviously, nice. you feel a lot behind uh, behind the video and the song. Um, we actually recently spoke to uh, Pete oh, awesome. about your success with this song. Oh, cool, and uh, I have a little quote from him. Aww. He said, uh, this one is especially cool just because Max has really grinded it out. He really went out and did the work. I think lots of times you tell people you do the work and you'll see a payoff. But to actually see it months later is really cool. I'm super proud of him. Um, you know, how does it feel to hear that from Pete? That's awesome. Because, you know, I think one of the biggest things that I've always respected the most about Pete and the whole band, all the Fall Out Boys, that... They've gotten to the point they're at because they do the work. Mm. They do grind it out. And in the end, the the piece, whatever you're trying to have people hear or see, it's it's got to have everything you've got in it. But everybody has pieces that that they want people to hear or see. And and you have to give that extra mile. Like it's it's require it's a part of it. And and it's and it's beautiful to see that they are definitely at the place they are because they went that extra mile mm. and they 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 took those extra shows and they mm-hmm. did that extra time in the studio where they. They did those extra interviews and they it humbles you. I think it makes you realize that my wife says it to me all the time. She's like, so are you ever going to be able to like not do all of this mm-hmm. stuff as much? I'm like, I think it'll only get worse. It's <laughs> only, I'm going to have to do more of that stuff. Yeah. And, and that's, you got to love that. And they've consistently shown that they, they love the the process. And that's why you still know Fall Out Boy and all their that's music why is great. still getting number one albums. That's why they're killing the game, yeah, you know, exactly. taking the risks. It's awesome. <laughs> Um, so your album, uh, Hell's Kitchen Angel, came out a year ago in April, and uh, now you're already working on a new project. Yeah. So where where are we with it so far? We're we're getting there, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I um I I think there's it's it's beautiful that this has had uh the success that it's had, but it's um of course there's there's new pressure in certain ways to you know and 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 the thing for me is to not. The hardest thing is not to give in to that pressure. Mm. And I think it's something you that need I, to pump out, you know, more right? super personal, yeah, super, super impactful songs. Of course, that's all. <laughs> and it's and it's of course it's so interesting because then people are like, okay, well now you need this, you mm. need a like, oh, you need an up tempo banger, and like it's got, but it's got to be you know personal, and mm. those kinds of things start to come together. And when you when you're trying to do the thing, the thing rarely happens. Mm. And I think that that's been my biggest. Uh, excitement uh because we've learned to fight for what we believe with then with this song Mm -hmm. um and the vision that goes behind it you know um unfortunately in the music world and and just in the listener world like people like only know this song of mine they're like do you have other songs and i forget it's like oh yeah I have, have this the song. Fans that know it all. There, you, have the, you have the you have the OGs who yeah. know who were like, "Where's the new music coming out?" And then I go to some radio stations, and people are like, "Oh, so do you, are you going to put out more songs?" And I'm just like, <laughs> "Don't get upset. Don't get angry. Just know that that's the world. Like, mm. you know this one because it's been heard in this way. That's why we promote it so much. We mm-hmm. do so much for it." Um, but because of that, I realize as well, whatever the next thing that besides the whole body of work, having the vision be there, which I do have, the rest of it is so important to know that what's the next thing that I'm going to spend this amount of time giving love to. And it's got to really matter. Yeah. It's got to mean just as much, if not more so. 
And it's got to be something that I'm willing to fight for and not something I'd, I would ever fake fighting for. And I can't – I would, you know, I would hate my life if I were promoting something that I really wasn't into. And I feel like you can always tell, you know. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, that's a long – that's a long answer of me. This is a very therapeutic uh, podcast moment <laughs> right. for me. But, but, um, but, uh, but I'm getting there. But I think it's just uh, – it's just – yeah, it's just a matter of really diving into what you – what you believe in and that's what i'm trying to do right now with this record yeah yeah and uh you're touring with ajr yeah uh, they had a co-write on uh your they last did album, yeah right? hey baby are you working with them again i want to music? i would love to they're so great the song i did with them was a song called home and it was actually right after i had uh, written lights down low i mm-hmm. found this new phase of writing where i was like what am i doing just like write from a personal place and i had a pregnancy scare with my wife mm. um and it was basically us just like Real? Are we ready to be parents? You know, it was. I wrote this song the next day. I had a session with the AJR voice, and we got in, and I was like, "All right, well, this just happened. Like, I thought she's not pregnant, but like, I couldn't sleep all night, so <laughs> we just wrote that song, and and uh, and it was so cool because songwriting. I try to explain it to Emily sometimes. She's always like, "So you just like told people you just met like about us having like a pregnancy scare, like." You just met these people. And it's amazing how when you write songs with people or you create with people in certain ways, it's that's just a part of it. If you're not so transparent and honest, it's not going to be shown in the work. Yeah. And uh, and I and I personally love that. I love meeting someone for the first time and be like, all right, anyway, so like we thought we were pregnant. We're not. It's cool. Let's write about that. I just met you five seconds ago. And uh, and so that um, that's something I love with them. And, and they're just amazing writers and producers. They're just uh, they're again, they, they they have fought for their sound and what they believe in. And they've one one of the only groups that I can truly say I've been in the in the trenches with for years now mm-hmm. and to see them be so successful and be so you know celebrated is is beautiful it's, yeah. i'm so happy for them and yeah so hopefully we'll write some, we'll, we'll definitely write something awesome. for the next round. they're good dudes they've been in before yeah the they're awesome well. um, nice jewish boys yeah. i love them <laughs> love my people try uh, all right i've already kept you a little long so i really appreciate your time today thank awesome. you thank thanks you. for coming into billboard and uh and good luck with all the new music thank you for the beautiful therapeutic podcast of course, boys, yes. our appreciate session is you. over delicious <laughs> and darling where do we go Thanks so much to Max for stopping by the office. Happy that he's still a friend of the pop shop, even though he's so big time now. Uh, We look forward to seeing how far that song can just keep on climbing. Yeah. And now it's time for the chart stat of the week. Fifteen years ago this week, 50 Cent topped the Billboard Hot 100 with In the Club. The song with its memorable Go Shorty, It's a Birthday, reached number one on the list dated March 8th, 2003, and spent a total of nine weeks atop the list. It was the first of four number ones for the rapper, who also led the list with 21 Questions, Candy Shop, and Crack a Bottle. The latter is a collaboration with Eminem and Dr. Dre. 50 Cent was also a force on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, of course, logging six top ten number... Six top ten number one albums? If only that was a thing. (laughs) Six top ten albums, including a pair of number ones with Get Rich or Die Tryin' and The Massacre. So there you have it. Fifteen years ago this week. It's been 15 years since In The Club. 50 Cent got his first number one on the Hot 100 with In The Club. Go, 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 go. 15 years it's crazy it was it's crazy i was like looking at um 
you know, because Madonna, obviously. Ray of Light, her album Ray of Light, um, was released uh, on March 3rd, 1998. So 20. 20 years ago. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, I'm that old, huh? I remember when 50 Cent was like a new rapper, very vividly. Yeah. And like that was 15 years ago, apparently. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, what song should we go out on? Go, oh, man. Get out on. We've talked a lot about about a lot of songs. I, ugh, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, Ooh, can we do a Kylie Minogue song? Ooh, sure. Yeah. You pick. Oh, golly. Well, can't get you out of my head. Done. All right. See you guys next time. Bye. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.